Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Thought a lot about uh, last week and this week, and uh, I'm just so thankful that uh, we're talking about First Street Bible Church, how thankful we are to be here at First Street Bible with all of you. Um, such a blessing it is to worship God with you. Uh, we've been in bigger churches, we've been in smaller churches, and this is the perfect size of church with the perfect people. I know you're not perfect, but we love you. <laughs> and, um, and so we're so thankful for you. And I just wanted to, as we begin, I wanted to kind of recap a little bit from last week, from Hebrews 7. We're actually being in Hebrews 12, so you want to put your finger in Hebrews 12, um, and also another finger in Hebrews 7. Just thinking about Jesus being better. Hopefully you kind of have had the opportunity to kind of think through that aspect of Jesus being better. He was the better hope, the better king, the better high priest. He is the guarantor of a better covenant bought by his blood. So the new covenant was bought by Jesus' blood. The old covenant was that which they would put their hands upon uh, lambs and they would sacrifice those lambs as a temporary atonement for sin. But now Jesus has come and Jesus now is the new covenant for you and for me. He's a new covenant. And in verse 25 of that, that book, it says, And Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. So he's a forever priest, a forever king. He lives forever and ever interceding upon those who draw near to him, those that repent and believe. If you have the opportunity to share with someone about what this means, what the new covenant means, I want you to kind of flip over real quickly to 2 Corinthians 5.21. So if you have something in your notes you want to put down, saying if I were to share, uh, share this idea of new covenant, this idea of Jesus Christ being the permanent payment for sin, uh, the one verse, if you had five minutes or three minutes or two minutes, you can go to 2 Corinthians 5.21 and be able to talk about this a little bit further and expound on this as far as Jesus being the better covenant, the new covenant, and it's exemplified in this, in this, in this verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me read that again. For our sake, for you and for me, he made him, God the Father made Jesus to be sin who was perfect, who knew no sin. So that in him we might, have, might become the righteousness of God. Those 15 Greek words are profound. Jesus was a perfect man, perfect God, came to earth to die. And all of us, all of our sin was laid upon him. Every single one. Past, present, and future. All that sin was laid upon him on the cross. He was perfect and blameless. The Lamb of God. Fully God and fully man. And he knew no sin. He, per he was perfect in every way. He suffered like you and I will. And we'll talk about that a little bit in, in uh, chapter 12. The fact that he went through life perfectly and then perfectly died upon a cross for you and for me so that we might what? Become the righteousness of God. That righteousness imputed upon us. 
Mark 1.15 says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The gospel is Jesus once and forever died for the sins of you and I, was buried and rose again, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Isn't that a beautiful picture? If you have the opportunity to share with somebody about that, this is the verse you can go to and say, guess what? You're sinful. I'm sinful. Here's what Jesus did. And that's what we talked about last week in Hebrews chapter 7. Jesus became what we needed him to become. He came to earth, became a man, lived a perfect sinless life, and then died on the cross, died on the tree that you and I deserve. I mean, again, I've been a believer for a number of years, for many decades, and I still go back to this, and it's still amazing to me that God loved me this much. He wanted to have a relationship with me in such a way, as I mentioned last week, that from the foundation of the world, before anything had happened with Adam and Eve, he already had a plan inside. He was already sovereign over everything. He knew everything. He had a plan for you and for me to have a relationship with him. Once Adam and Eve sinned, we realized it had to be a renewed relationship, a restored relationship. There had to be a payment for that sin. The old covenant was a picture of that, right? Someone innocent, the lamb had to die for the sins of the people. And now God comes, Jesus comes and says, I am the lamb of the world, and I'm the one that takes away the sin. Not every year I have to be sacrificed. That sacrifice doesn't happen year after year. It was once for all. Once for all. It is something that we should be shouting on a daily basis, isn't it? Moment by moment, we should be thinking about how amazingly wonderful, miraculous that relationship with God is. And it wasn't just for the Jew, it's also for us Gentiles. Because he's a high priest, not just for them, but for all of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus. There is a hope, but there's only one hope. And that was him. And that's why it's a beautiful picture of him being high priest and high king. That was unique. There was no one else that you could look in Scripture saying there was a high priest and a king. And you look through that whole passage of chapter 7 last week, and you say, you know what? It's amazing how God fulfilled, Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies, even to the point of coming from the line of Judah. He didn't have to come from the line of Levi, but he did come from the line of Judah, as it mentioned in chapter 7, to fulfill the prophecies that he laid out that God laid out from the foundation. It showed and proved over the course of time that he was who he said he was. And ultimately, the, the pinnacle of that was him going to the cross and dying. Him going to the cross and dying. So as I think about that aspect of things, I wanted to kind of turn, not turn it to, to uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and the whole aspect of this is really, in essence, that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what this section's all about the author and perfecter of our faith. So look at, verse, look at uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, and what is the therefore? Okay, we're kind of ending a, a section there from chapter 10 through chapter 11, and now in chapter 12 he says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, now you have to look back previously to the previous chapter to see what he's talking about there, but he, the author, and the Jews, guess what? We have people we look to as a great example of those people who had faith that God was going to do something miraculous, but they weren't around to actually see the fulfillment of it. 
Look at um, Hebrews eleven twelve. Hebrews eleven twelve. They all died, meaning those that we talked about, the, the heroes of faith, if you will. They all died by faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on earth. So they died by faith in God, not having received the promise of the Messiah coming and dying. They knew that God had a plan. They knew that by faith God was going to do something miraculous. God was going to bring the Messiah. But they, by faith, trusted God without having to see it. Remember Doubting Thomas? He's looking, hey, blessed is the man who doesn't see and still believes. These heroes of the faith saw God and realized who God was and by faith trusted him with their entire persons, even to the point of death, never having to seen those promises. Now, for me, again, we have all of Scripture laid out for us. We have the whole picture in front of us. They didn't have the whole picture in front of them. They just knew that God promised it, and if God promises it, then it's going to happen. He's going to bring a Messiah. He's going to make payment for sin. He's going to have a future home in heaven. We have hope and we have a future, but we're not sure what that's exactly going to look like. We see it back in the Old Testament. We see the Messiah prophesied. We see all those things happening. I know that God will do it, but I'm not quite sure how it's going to be done. These heroes of the faith, these cloud of witnesses, guess what? These are people that died in faith without ever having seen the fulfillment of the ultimate promise. Now, for you and us as Gentiles, we, we have the promises right here. We see it unlaid, and it's like, how can people not understand and follow our great God and King, we have it right here. We see Jesus come. We see him die. We see him raised again. And that there's a blindness there. But he's trying to tell these Jews, and again, in essence, all of us, if you will, that we have a great group of people that have come before us that have been faithful and obedient to God all the way to death. And so we need to be the same way. We need to do the same thing. But yet we have the entirety of understanding of the promise of what God is doing and what he will do. So look at the next part of that. What did he ask, what did he tell them to do in, in the next part of verse 1? Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Another version may say throw off. Let us lay aside, let us throw off every weight, every hindrance, and every sin that clings closely or easily entangles us, is another version. So this eros tense of throwing off, it's an act of continually throwing those things off. Is there anything that would hinder you in following Christ obediently? He's asking the Jews that. For them, it was a Levitical system. It may be their family. It may be other things in their life that is hindering them, not sin up to that point, but what's hindering you from running the race. What's hindering you from doing that? And then the next thing he talks about is not just what's hindering you, but then what sin is clings to you closely or entangles you. What sin, what offense against God entangles you and holds you fast to not being able to run? And so all of us can think through that, right? All of us can work through that on our, on our own, but the reality is, is that ultimately the sin that so easily entangles us is our disbelief. 
there a lack of obedience? Is there a lack of trust? So he's saying, I want you to throw all those things off. I want you to throw those things off. And I want you to run. I want you to run with endurance. The word there says, and let us run with endurance, or you may have the word perseverance, the race that is set before us. Each of us have a unique race, but there are very similarities to our race as well. Let us run. Since we do this, or when we do this, it speaks of by means of having thrown off all the things, we can run. We can't run until those things are removed out of our life. And the idea here comes from really 1 Corinthians. I mean, that's why some people believe that Paul may have wrote um, Hebrews because he used the word race here. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 20 through 27, it says, Do you not know that all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. There is an active word here of perseverance. It's a, involving an effort or a struggle. It's not passively, patiently waiting. We're actively struggling, actively running. And back then, they would have understood this idea of racing, right? They would throw off everything. They'd actually run without any clothes on. They want to remove everything that would hinder them from the prize, from winning the race, from seeing to, to the end. They're going to throw everything off. I don't want anything. I don't want anything there. I don't want anything to hinder me. I don't want any sin to entangle me or to, that clings to me. I want to throw those things off, and I want to do something there. And this is what the next part of it, which is beautiful, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The idea of looking at Jesus is fixing our eyes on him. This is what they would do in a runner. They would look to the end, they look to the prize, look to the finish line, and that's what they would do. You know how you get a toddler to run? You put his mom at the end of the, end of the track and you, you go, come to mommy, right? If that toddler focuses on mom, that toddler will run. He'll go or she'll go. Unless, it's, unless he's a daddy's girl or a daddy's boy, right? <laughs> and you got to get dad down there. But the reality here is we're looking at something that is, we're looking to Jesus. We're fixing our eyes on this example, Right? We're looking at him as being our founder and perfecter of our faith. And when I think of this idea of fixing my eyes, I think of Stephen. First martyr, right? Acts 7.55. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And just standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is right before he was stoned to death. He's being stoned. And his, fixed, his eyes are fixed upon his Savior. His eyes were fixed upon his Savior. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's our founder of our faith. The idea here is the author or the originator. That's what the Greek word is aspect is looking at. The author and originator or originator. 
So he began the work. Look at, if you look at, think of Romans 8.30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. God is the one, again, the beginning, the author is the beginning, the middle, and the end. He has it all written out. He has it all together. He began a good work in you, and he will complete it. He's the author. Hebrews 10, or Hebrews 2.10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. He's the founder of our salvation. He's the only source of our foundation. He is the author of our foundation, the originator of our foundation, of our salvation. Acts 3, 14 and 15, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. That Acts 3.15 is really hits me when I was looking through that aspect of this thing, of saying that he, they would recognize him as the author of life. He is very life of life. So he's the founder of our faith, but he's also the perfecter, or another word there is champion of our faith. Teleotos, one who completes or finishes what was started. He's going to complete everything that he began in you. Isn't that a beautiful picture? God not, doesn't just leave you there. Doesn't say, yeah, I'm the author. I began this, I was a founder of your faith. But no, I'm going to perfect that faith in you over the course of this life. And remember back to the aspect of your race. Everyone has a different level and size of race, a, a distance they run, if you will. The thief on the cross and, and Luke had a very short race he ran, right? He repented and believed in Jesus. And at that point, Jesus said, what? You'll be with me in paradise. Others have a much longer race to run, if you will, a marathon, if you will. And God is a process and the one that will perfect us. We, are, we were sanctified at the point of, of the cross, the point of our redemption in him, right? Our belief and our trust in Christ. But we're being sanctified daily, right? Jesus is the mediator, right, between us and God. God is the one that is the author and perfecter of our faith. Philippians 1, 6 says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it at on the day of Christ Jesus. There will be a point of completion of that race, a point of completion of our sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. He's the guarantor of that, right? He's going to surely do it. He's going to take us from the beginning through the middle of our suffering, all the things we have to deal with in life, which we'll talk about in a second, and then he obviously glorification where we don't have to worry about this anymore. He's taking us through that process. So what are some practical things as far as, I mean, think about practical sanctification or progressive sanctification. How are we becoming more and more like Christ? And what are some ways that we need to be focused on in doing that? And you think about these are pretty simple things. It's not an exhaustive list by any means. But think about how often you do some of these things. How often do you trust the word, read the word, memorize the word, know the word? How often do you spend in God's word? 
2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How often do we spend time in his word? It's important for us to know God and how we are to honor God and follow after God is how much time we spend in the word that he give, has given to us. We need to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit and lean on the intercessory ministry of Jesus. So we need to lean, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed daily as we walk with him and spend time with him and learn more about him and submit to him and are obedient to him in that we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I love that verse. Many of you use that often. But we are being transformed. God is transforming us. Even today, he's being, we're being sanctified. We're being transformed more and more into his likeness as we spend time with him. As we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and lean into the intercession ministry of Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, right now, the day every day, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 8, 26 and 27, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Romans 8, 26 and 27, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, and he who searches the heart knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. As we read God's word, we understand what that means, what that looks like. But there's times where I don't know what to pray. I don't know what, what that looks like. But God helps us in our weaknesses. Remember that? The sins that so easily entangle, the hindrances, right, that we go up against, we work through. God helps us in those weaknesses, to overcome those hindrances, overcome those things in our life that hold us back from running the race. He does the work there. We need to exhort and restore your brothers and sisters. We need, to, we need, to, we need our brothers and sisters. We need each other in this accountability process, right? Um, a few weeks ago, Johnny and I went backpacking up in Wyoming, and uh, you, we went back, we've been backpacking a lot, or we've been backpacking several times. When I was growing up, I backpacked a lot. And when Johnny was little, we'd go camping or backpacking, and I'd be the one up front going, come on, Johnny, come on, buddy, just one more mile. Just one more mile. This trip, it was the other way around. <laughs> Johnny was up in front, and he was going, Dad, just one more mile. And he literally said that, just one more mile, Dad, just one more mile. And I thought about this sermon when I was walking up this pail, and I was like, you know what? He's a lamp unto my feet and the light unto my path. I got one more step. Just one more step. Just one more step. And if I would look up on the mountain, all the things that the world had to offer, this life was so enormous, all the stumbling blocks, all the things that I was going to have to avoid on this mountain, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. 
There's about nine miles up and nine miles down. I like going down much better than I like going up. But for me, when I think about this, it's kind of, it's, it's an it's a amazing, wonderful, awesome thing to think about that my son, who God allowed me to be a part of his life and see him come to Christ, right? Now he's not just my son, he's also a brother. And for him to be out in front now going, hey, dad, just one more mile, I thought about this sermon. Just one more mile. We need each other in this life. We need each other to walk and, and to encourage and to exhort. When we're failing, when we're falling, there's things we can't get through. Yes, ultimately our, our teacher is the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, God's word is our source of, of, ed, of information and education and support and help. But God has also brought each other around as well. He's brought those brothers and sisters around us to help us and encourage us and to spur each other on toward love and good deeds, right? We need to be spurred on sometimes. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch for yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, And let us consider how we may stir one another up toward love and good deeds, and not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more, as you see the day drawing near, Christ is coming back. One more mile. As you see him drawing near, we need the encouragement even more at times, don't we? So we need each other. So we need God's word. We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We need, we need to be focused on the things that God wants us to focus on. We also need to be con consistent in our prayer life. Martin Luther said this, to have prayed well is to have studied well. To have prayed well is to have studied well. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That idea and heart of praying without ceasing. Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We pray for ourselves, but we also pray for others in that same process. And the last one I put, you may add more to your list, and I encourage you to do so. But repent of daily failings and accept God's forgiveness. Repent often and then accept the forgiveness he gives at the foot of the cross. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgives our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to the completion in the fear of God. Work out your faith through fear and trembling. So as we think about that aspect of things, God's going to do something miraculous in your life, he has already, at the point of your justification, he made you right before God, based on your repentance and belief in Jesus as the only way, the only hope. And then he is actually perfecting your faith through leaning and being obedient on him. So the last one I have here, number one is he is our author, right? He's our originator. He's our perfecter. The last thing on my list was he is also our model of our faith. He's the model of our faith. 
He trusted God the Father in total, complete obedience in the work of the atoning for the sins of the believers. Look at the next part of verse 2. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. His race was different than our race, obviously. But if that joy set before him, he endured the cross. He persevered the cross. Despising the shame that that meant, the worst of the worst were the ones hung on that tree. And not only that, but all the sin of the world, the Father turned his face upon him, and all of our sin laid upon him. He despised the shame, but is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. God counted it joy. And I think the joy ultimately was obedience to God, but it was also the joy was you and I and relationship with him for all eternity. There was joy in the midst of the suffering because there was an end in sight. There was a focus there. And now he's been, again, he died, he was buried, he rose again. Now what, what happens? He's now exalted in the heavens. He's now seated at the right hand. We talked about that last week a little bit. And now he's interceding forever and ever on our behalf. And the right hand of the Father, it is a place of position of authority, but it's also a position of prominence. Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was, a son, he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let me read that one more time. This is Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. If you want to go back and underline that in your Bibles. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. In the days of his flesh... Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him, which is God the Father, who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence before Almighty God. But although he was a son, what? He learned obedience through what he suffered. He was suffering on our behalf. And being made perfect, right? His death, his resurrection, now that he's glorified, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Those who repent and believe. Those who repent and believe. And how much greater is that salvation in our mind and our relationship with him when we daily are obedient to him. As we daily fall in love with him more and follow his word and are, 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 are quick, to for, quick to repent. Quick to accept that forgiveness. Verse 10, being designated by God the Father as a order of, after the high priest of the order of Melchizedek. So he is the perfect model of our faith. The perfect model of our faith. So what does he say there at the end of verse 2? Do not grow weary. And he states this twice because I think that's very important for us to understand what that means, right? Do not grow weary of doing good. Do not grow weary of doing good. Do not do, grow weary of obeying God. Do not grow weary of people that come against you. People that have all th things to say against you, against your, against your Lord and Savior. 
you will be persecuted. The question wasn't if, it's a question of when and how severe. Let me repeat that. Persecution is not a question of if, it's a question of when and how severe. The heroes of the faith, many of them suffered. Stephen suffered at the point of martyrdom, right? And we see James and others suffered at the point of martyrdom. We may not be asked and called for that, called to that. But there's times where we grow weary of the mundane things in the United States of America. We grow weary of obeying. We grow weary of coming to church on Sunday. We grow weary of the things that are mundane. And God's saying, don't grow weary of these things. Don't grow weary. Keep your focus. Again, what is your focus supposed to be on? Keep your eyes fixed upon the author and perfecter of your faith. Don't grow weary in that process. Verse 3, consider him, which is Christ, who endured from sinners such hostility against him, himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The idea of hostility is interesting for me. Colossians 1, 24 through 26, remember when, um, when uh, Rob went through that, he says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filled, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of from God that, you, that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. What's being revealed? Jesus. The mysteries that was withhold, withheld are now in front of us. That we rejoice, do we rejoice in suffering? Do we find joy in affliction? If someone persecutes you for the cause of Christ, do we rejoice in that? And what does Jesus say here in verse 3? You know what? Consider, consider me. Look to me. Again, focus back on me. Don't focus on your temporary trial, your temporary temptation. Focus back on me. Look what I endured. Look what I went through. Do not grow weary or faint-hearted. Uh, Galatians 6, 9 through 10, this will be encouragement to you if you want to write this down. Galatians 6, 9 through 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in a due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then we, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Do not grow weary or faint-hearted of doing good. Keith Brooks says this, The cure for faint-heartedness towards the gospel is a right concept of the glory and work of our great high priest who passed into the heavens. Let me repeat that. The cure for faint-heartedness towards the gospel is a right concept of the glory and work of our great high priest who passed into the heavens. If our, as our eyes are fixed on him, everything else becomes ancillary. Keep our eyes focused and fixed upon the author and perfecter of our faith. Verse 4, I just threw that in there for the, for the sake of the fact that it kind of ends this passage. But in, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. Guess what? In all your resisting, you have not shed blood. I don't think any of this room has shed blood in the struggle, have you? If you have, I want to talk to you afterwards. I'll make sure I make notes for the next one. But the reality here is he's talking to these Hebrews, he's saying, you know what, you have not struggled to the point of shedding blood. I did. There's martyrs that will, but you haven't yet. Not saying it won't come, 
but you haven't up to this point. So we need to consider and think through and, and focus on the fact that Jesus is the beginner of our faith. He is here through the midst of this race that we run, and he will be there at completion. The glorification, which I look forward to, and I know all of you will, is when that completion is finalized. Justification happens when we first come to Christ. Sanctification happens through the course of our life. We're becoming more and more like Christ. We're being set apart for him. We're being more obedient. We're relying on him and trusting him, following him. But one day, we reap. We get to be, we're glorified with him. We'll spend eternity in heaven. That's what we have to look forward to. So our focus has got to be on Christ. Has got to be on the prize. And that's what we have to look forward to is at home in heaven. Are you looking forward to that? There's so many things on this earth that can, that can weigh us down, that, in, that hinders us or, or ensnares us. We need to throw those things off. And how do we do that? We do that through the power of Christ. Daily at our, on our knees, daily in his word, daily focusing on the things he's called us to focus on, to be obedient and following after him. Because he is the model of our faith. He's the founder, he's the perfecter, but he's also our, our, the perfect model of our faith. We have a great high priest, we have a great king, we have a great savior. Everything that we do is focused upon him. If we focus on him, guess what? There will be a difference in your life tomorrow. Those of you who have truly put your faith and trust in Christ, there's a starting point there. That's the start of the race. But now we run the race with endurance to win the prize. Paul also talks about it in Philippians, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what lies ahead. I pressed on. We pressed on for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Are you going to press on with me? That's what we want to do here at First Street Bible is press on. Because we do have a great high priest. We have a great king. We have a great founder of our faith, a perfecter of our faith, a great model of our faith. And I look forward to ruling and reigning with him forever and ever and ever. So be encouraged. We have a model. We have a focal point. Fix your eyes. Well, how is tomorrow going to be different than today? Are we going to fix our eyes? And then as we do that, I want to encourage all of us. I want First Street Bible Church to be that encouraging, equipping, admonishing church with one another as well. Just one more mile. Can we say that? One more mile? One more step? Whatever that time is, if it's today is the day when Christ returns, so be it. If today is the day God calls me home, so be it. I look forward to that day. But until that day, I'm so thankful I have the perfecter of my faith as my personal Lord and Savior. It will take me every step of the way. He will be the light unto my feet and the lamp unto my path. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day you've given us. I just thank you so much for your word. And as we look through Hebrews, Father, we're so thankful that you give us such a great high priest. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming to earth and dying for 
all of us. Lord, I pray that this morning that we would be reminded of the fact that you've called us to endure. You've called us to be faithful. You've called us to be obedient. Lord, I pray that this week that we would desire more of you, that we throw off all the hindrances and the, the sins that so easily entangle us, Father. And the only way we do that is through your power and through your strength. For, Lord, we want to bow our knees to you in that process. Lord, help us. Help us. Lord, thank you for your, the love you have for us, and thank you that you've given us the opportunity to have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray we would not take that for granted today, this week, this month, this year, Father. Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity we have to know you and to make you known. Lord, thank you for the great God you are. Thank you for these dear brothers and sisters, Father. I pray you'd encourage them, you would challenge them, you would uplift them, you'd help them to focus more fully on their time with you, their obedience to you. Lord, even the, their, the discipline of you, Father, they would be, there'd be a correction and a, and a, a chastisement that's needed, Father, but they would desire to know you in such a deeper way, Father. That relationship would grow and prosper. And Lord, I pray that for each of us, Father. And those here that don't know you as a personal Lord and Savior, Father, I pray they throw off all the religious aspects of the past, their family dynamics, Lord, and they would look to you as the author and perfecter of their faith. They would repent and believe. You died once for all to take away the sins of the world. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.